Hey, well, good morning, and once again, welcome to church online. Thanks so much for logging in and joining us today. If you're here in the room, thank you so much for making today, uh, man, part of your weekend plans. Before we jump in, I want to just share something. This is uh, pretty exciting. Many of you uh, might know this about us as a church. Many of you might not, so I want to make sure that you know about it, is one of the things that we try to be really good at. By no means are we perfect. We try to be really good partners with other local organizations in our local community. One of those partners that we are huge fans of, they do a phenomenal job in their ministry, and so we want to not just cheer them on, help them and be part of what they are doing. I feel like we're a pretty good church, but that does not mean we are good at everything. So we love finding different local organizations that are doing an incredible job at God's calling in their world so that we can then partner along with them. One of those organizations is FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And Sam Reed's become a good friend. He leads the Dawsonville footprint of FCA. And FCA's mission is to make sure that every student athlete knows the gospel. I'd say that's a pretty important mission in life, right? <laughs> And they're doing a great job with that. They have a great relationship with the schools like we do. But they go in and they work specifically with the athletic teams, with the coaches. Each team has a character coach where they get to instill those Christian values into a team. And uh, I was talking with Sam a few weeks ago. I said, Sam, how's it going? Uh, I said on his home team, what are you missing? What are you lacking? Tell me what you're needing right now, because obviously things are a little bit different coming out of COVID. And uh, one of their big ways that they make sure that every student athlete is told the gospel is they want to make sure they get Bibles in the hands of student athletes. Once again, a pretty good idea. And he said, but Brian, I have four Bibles in my office right now, just four. And uh, you know how big student athletic teams can be, upwards of 20 kids per team. He said, I only have four, and we've added several more uh, character coaches. So I said, well, how many Bibles would be helpful? He said, I mean, like, if I could get a, a case, that would be great. I said, well, we really like getting Bibles into people's hands. How about we as a church do four? So we got four whole cases of these Bibles that are going into the hands of 48 student athletes in Dawson County Schools. Need to know. Now, it, this is an FCA Bible. The Bible part is all the same that you and I have, uh, but they add different devotions that are geared towards student athletes. So the only way, please hear me, the only way that I could have said, Sam, we got you covered to make sure that student athletes gets Bibles um, here this next semester is because of your faithful giving and your generosity, church. So Thank you, thank you, thank you. You might not have an impact in a school. You might not know a student athlete, but just by being part of what God is doing here at this church and your giving, you allow us to be part of something so much bigger. So 48 of these are going to 48 students in Dawson County Schools. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you see Sam, he's gonna be hanging out in the lobby. Make sure you say hey to him. Check out what's going on with the FCA. If you've got questions on what it looks like to be involved, we as a church love being involved. would love for you to jump in and see what God might have you do with FCA as well. Because that's what we're about, right? Not just as a church, as believers, we have been called to, to go into the world, to make a difference for Jesus' name, to be his hands and his feet, to share the good news, to share the gospel. In John chapter 17, you don't have to necessarily turn there, I'll put it up on the screen for you. John chapter 17, Jesus kind of gives us this mission uh, without us really knowing it quite yet. Later on, you've heard of maybe the Great Commission. That comes a little bit later. But in John 17, this is Jesus' prayer to God the Father moments before he is arrested. Moments before Jesus, our Savior, is arrested, he prays to God 
some very specific and intentional prayers. One of them, specifically, speaks to what our calling in life is. Here's what he says. Here's his prayer. John chapter 17, starting in verse 15. Jesus' prayer. He says, my prayer is not that you take them. By the way, them is also referring to us. He tells us that in verse 20. So his disciples, but also us. So he prays to the Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. That means set them apart or make them holy. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. A few key words there real quick. He says, do not take them out of the world. By no means does Jesus want us as his followers, us as his disciples, to be out of the world. He says, no, 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 by no means. Please, please, God, do not take them out of the world. Now, I know that they're not of it, right? As believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are different than the rest of the world. You think different. You talk different. You act different. You have different purposes. You have different reasons on why you do what you do, why you don't do the things you don't do. So Jesus says, no, 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 don't take them out of this world. We tend to want to do that. We kind of isolate ourselves and we, we put ourselves aside from everything else. So he says, no, no, I don't want you to be out of the world. I know you're not of it. You most certainly are different. He says, no, just as I have been sent into the world, I have sent them into, there's that other word, into the world. See, that's our calling, is to not be totally out of the world, to not be of it, we should most certainly be different. We talk a lot about what different looks like as a follower of Jesus. But at the end of the day, we are called to be sent into the world. Wherever he wants to send you, wherever he wants to take you, wherever he wants you to go, whatever he wants you to do with whoever he calls you to go to, that's the mission, that's the commission, and it's up to us to say yes or no. Like, yes, I'm gonna go into it, or no, no, I'd rather be out of it. Yes, we should be different, but yes, he desires, he calls us to be sent into the world. Let's pray and we'll talk about what that looks like for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the prayer that you prayed for us. Moments before your arrest, you gave us what we would begin to call a, a mission in life. To follow you means we're not out of this world. We don't run away from it. Yes, we are most certainly different. We we do our very best and we're not perfect and we thank you for your grace as we stumble in the right direction trying to, to not be of the world. But Jesus, you have called us to run into it, to take you into the world, to be your hands and feet in our world. Help us to, to hear from you this morning. What does it look like? What does it mean? What is it gonna take for us individually and even as a church to run into the world that you have called us into? In your name, amen. You've probably heard the phrase, think outside of the box. That's right. We are not going to do that today at all. I do not want you to think outside of the box. I want you to do nothing but think about inside of the box. So I know all of you creatives in here are like, no, we have to think outside of the box. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit differently. This morning, I want you to be thinking inside the box. And when I say box, I want you to be thinking of the world that you are in. Your little box. Not the world, your individual little world. I want you to be thinking of your family and your circle of friends, your job. I want you to think about your coworkers, your environments, your neighborhood, your community, your church. 
all your things in your box, but don't forget your problems. They are in your box. I don't want you to miss your issues and your struggles. Maybe there's some problems that are technically not yours, but they are most certainly in your box because there's somebody else in your box too. Maybe there are some some other struggles that might not be yours, but they are most certainly in your box because that's the environment that you're in. There's a lot of things in our box. Some of them are on us. Some of them are just because, well, that's where we are. It's where we stand. It's where we live. It's where we work. It's where we we are. I want you to be thinking about everything inside your box because Jesus had an incredible way of meeting everybody inside their own box, didn't he? He met them in their world, their problems. He met them right then and there. So we're going to look at a story this morning, pretty famous, pretty familiar story, but hopefully through a little bit of a different lens of your own world. We're going to see Jesus step into some other people's world, step into their box, and I want you to pay attention specifically to how he walked through their problems. It wasn't really his problem, but he stepped in and he made it his own. So if you want to follow along with me, the story is in Matthew chapter 14. It is the feeding of the 5,000. Again, if you grew up in church, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with it. Here's the story. We're going to go through it kind of section by section because I want you to pay attention to what's actually happening in the box, so to speak. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 14. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had, what's this word? He had compassion. Say it one more time. He had compassion. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. We have to talk about what compassion is because it's my favorite word. If you've been around me long enough, you know where I'm going with this one. I won't spend too much time on it though because you've probably heard it before. Compassion, you have to understand, it's not just seeing a problem. So here Jesus, he, and you got to know a little bit of context, he just got word that John the Baptist was killed, was murdered, martyred. He gets that news and he is heartbroken. He tries to get away. He tries to isolate. That's why it says he got on a boat earlier, went to another side, but this large crowd followed him. And as he got out of the boat, he was hoping to be alone, but he sees this large crowd that needed him. And that Jesus had, what was the word one more time? Compassion on them. So he saw a problem and he stepped into their world. He stepped into their box. He didn't run away from it. He didn't say not now. He didn't say now's not a good time. He said, no, I'm going to step into it right there with you. He noticed a problem, but don't miss the and. It said, and healed their sick. He healed them. He did something. He observed a problem and he acted He saw something, and he then did something. Compassion without action is simply observation. You might see a lot of problems in your box. You might notice a lot of issues in your box, but oftentimes it stops with observation. Well, I see it. Not my problem. Well, I notice it, but I don't know what to do with it. We're going to talk about it. Compassion has to include action. That Greek word there, splagnitsomai, is what compassion truly means. That literal word of compassion is in the Greek, splagnitsomai, which means from the bowels of compassion. It moves you, that gut feeling of just, oh, uh, my stomach hurts, just something aches in me. I cannot help but do something. That's compassion. That's what Jesus had 
on this group of people when he met them right where they were at. So he healed their sick, verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So the disciples, they're following Jesus, so they got brought into this box as well. A bunch of people, and the disciples recognized a problem. Technically, this is problem number two. The first problem, Jesus noticed and did something about. He saw that they needed him, and he did something. He had compassion, and he healed their sick. Now the disciples are part of this box with Jesus now too. They're in the mix of all of this. Now the disciples notice a problem. This is a very remote place. We are in the middle of nowhere. They're getting hungry. Jesus, you don't want 5,000 plus people to be hangry right now. We need to get them some food. So to the disciples' credit, they didn't just bring Jesus a problem. They also brought him a solution. Remember their solution? Jesus, they're getting hungry, so send them away so they can go and get some food from their surrounding villages. Not a bad solution. It seems like a reasonable solution. Jesus... What's going on in our box and in this world right now? We can't do anything about it. It's about to escalate. These people, 5,000 plus, are about to get super hungry. We can't do anything about it. So Jesus, we need to get them out of our box. We need them to get out. We need to send them away so that they can take care of their own problems. That was their solution. Not a bad solution. Not a great solution, though, either. Jesus replied, verse 16, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You, disciples, you came to me with a problem. It's a valid problem. Jesus doesn't say it's not a problem. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it. No, he recognizes it is a very real problem. When people are hungry, it's a problem. So Jesus doesn't just dismiss the problem and dismiss the issue that they are recognizing in their box. He just doesn't like their solution. He says, no, 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 no. Yes, it's a problem, but no, don't send him away. He offers a different solution. I can just imagine him looking at all the 12 disciples and saying, you, 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 and you. You give them something to eat. We're not sending them away. They're here. We've stepped into their world. You're here. They're here. You recognized it's a problem, so you do something about it. The disciples and all of their great religious hearts and minds and wisdom looked back at Jesus, verse 17, and countered and said, we have here only, everybody say only, only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. If you read John's account of this same story, we are told that it was a boy that had five loaves of bread and two fish. It was part of his lunch. So the disciples, when they're told by Jesus, you feed them, the disciples, I would imagine, would have been smart enough to say, let's go see like what we have. Maybe we can share and it'll be enough. So they go around, they look at everything that they have in their little box, and they come back with one boy's lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish, and they come back to Jesus and say, we tried, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. In other words, Jesus We don't have enough in our little box. We don't have enough to take care of the problem. Jesus, it's not possible. Jesus, we can't. There's a very real problem here, and we cannot do anything about it because we do not have enough. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. So Jesus answers, you're absolutely right. This is way too big for me. No, he doesn't say that. Some of you are like, are you for real? Which version is that? (laughs) No. 
No, of course not. His answer is such a dad answer. It's such a parent answer. Verse 19, or verse 18, bring them here to me. Isn't that what parents do? The kids have a problem and they bring a bad solution. And so then the parents say, just let me do it. Just bring it here. Let me show you how to do it. Let me show you what needs to happen. Just bring it to me. That's what he tells them. He says, bring them here to me, he said. In other words, what you have in your box, I want you to now put it in my hands. Don't miss that. They said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus, it's not enough. And Jesus says, watch this. Put them in my hands. Bring me what you have. There's a major problem in the box. You have found some things in the box, but no, you're right, it's not enough, but bring it to me. Bring me what you have and put it in my hands. Verse 19. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then, please don't miss this part, then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Did you see what just happened? Jesus said, give me what you have. I know you don't think it's enough, but in my hands it's going to be plenty. Just wait. Give me what you got. So he takes it, and he does what only he can do, a miracle, a miracle of multiplication. Then he gave it to the disciples. Here you go, disciples. Remember I said you were going to do this? Here you go. I'm giving you the solution. Then the disciples gave it to the people. Verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, not including the women and children. So in all reality, you're probably talking anywhere between 15 and 20,000 people total, men, women, and children. All because there was a problem in the box, a very valid problem, a very real problem that needed to be addressed. The first solution was to send everybody away. Jesus says, that's not okay with me. You take care of it. Oh, but we don't have enough. I don't have enough in here. There's no possible way I can solve that problem or do anything. I don't have enough. I can't. And Jesus says, in my hands, you can. Let me have what you got. Jesus did the miracle, but then gave it right back to the disciples so that the disciples could then do exactly what Jesus asked them to do. He says, I want you to take care of this. And at the end of the story, that's exactly what the disciples were able to do. They were able to take care of it, but there's no possible way they could have done it without first putting it in Jesus' hands. So your little box, your world, again, I have you thinking of your friends, your family, your workplace, your community, your neighborhood, all the yours, your little world, the problems in your world, the situations that you're dealing with in your world, the problems that are your problems, the problems that are not your problems, but they become your problems because you're in the box together. In your world, please hear this because we see it with the disciples. You matter and you make a difference. So often when we start thinking way outside of the box, it feels like we don't matter. I'm just one person, and it's usually followed by, and I can't do anything about it. When we think of all of our global issues and all the problems and, and all the things that would break God's heart, and I'm sure break your heart, when we think way outside of the box, we feel like we don't matter, and there's no way we can make a difference. But what Jesus shows his disciples 
And I would even venture to say this miracle most definitely solved a problem, but it opened the eyes of the disciples as well. And I pray it would open our eyes as well. That you, in your box and in your world, you matter and you can make a difference. Jesus used the disciples to solve a major problem. And he did it with them. He took care of what only he could do and said, now you can hand out some food and pick up some leftovers. You take care of it. I get very, very passionate about my box. When I think of all the my's of of my family and my friends and my life and my home and when I start to think of my neighborhood and my community and my church and all the my's that I would say, I get super excited about my box because I believe that God's got me here for a reason. I believe he's put me in this box and in this world, in my little world, for a reason. So I get super excited about that. I get super passionate about that. I would say the exact same thing to every single one of you, though, that you are in your box for a reason, that you are in your family for a reason, that you have the friends around you that you do for a reason, you're in the job that you have for a reason or out of a job for a reason at this point. I'm not saying all those things are exciting, but I do believe that God has you placed there for a reason. Go back to what he prayed in John 17, what we read earlier. I'm not trying to take you out of this. I most definitely want you to not be of it. I want you to be different. Oh, but I'm sending you there. He's, he's got you in a place where you matter and you can make a huge difference inside your world that he has sent you in. So I get passionate about it for me because I believe I'm here for a reason in my world. I would say the same thing to you. You can make a difference and you matter in your world. I'd say the exact same thing about our church, that I believe our church is in our box, in our community for a very specific and intentional reason. I get super excited about that. When I first moved here in 2014, one of the first things we did as a launch team was you started to identify what is in our box, meaning like the problems of our community, the needs of our community. And many of those we didn't even know at the time, but we said, we are here for, for those that Jesus has sent us to. How many of you are, and I seriously, I want to see like a hands here, and if you're online, give me like some thumbs up or the, the hand raised emoji. How many of you are here in the theater days? Remember the theater days? All right, keep your hand up for a second. How many of you then joined us as a church about a year or so, a year or so after we moved into the, this facility? A year or so after this facility, theater church wasn't for you. I get it. No, that's all right. No problems. Uh, I'm with you. How many of you have been here, like you're relatively new, you've been here in the last one or two years? How many of you just started coming in the last year or two? That's great. See, what I would tell you, regardless of where you've been with us, something that has been in the back of my heart and mind ever since we moved to this location, because it's real easy at the theater church. We were known as the theater church. Oh, you're the church that meets in the theater. Yes, that's us. But as we moved here, it's almost like raising a kid away, in a way of, of, as far as leading and raising a church, where we, we grow up a little bit. And so we've almost been a little bit what I'd call like in those adolescent years of who are we going to be? What's our identity? What are we going to be known for? So I actually asked the question, because that's been huge on my heart over the last couple of years since we've been in this facility, is who are we going to be? And more importantly, who do people say that we are? So I actually asked a bunch of different people, had them send in, no preface whatsoever, just when you think about this church, tell me what you think of. Let me give you just a few examples. The preaching is on point and perfect and amazing every single time. Thank you. Thank you for that one. 
No, to be fair, nobody wrote that, period. I went through the whole list. I was looking, give me one, just, just one, just one, not a one. Anyway, well, I, one person wrote everything, so maybe I'm included in everything. I don't know. Here's one. Stephanie wrote, I love the people. They are like family. Our church represents our community very well. Allison said, the moment I walked in the door, I felt at home. Amy say, said, we feel like it's our second family. John said, I feel part of a family. Jennifer said, being part of a community that loves Jesus. Carissa said, love the family feel. Melissa said, feeling a family. Ernest said, it's home. And there's a half a dozen more that are the exact same thing. So when I think about our church and what God has called us to be, more importantly, who God has called us to be in our box, in our community, in our little world, that's a big deal as far as your, I want you to know, like, as a, your pastor, as your leader, I wrestle with that a lot. Because here's why. I don't want to lose that. It's easy to lose who you are, isn't it? You've all experienced that in some form or fashion. It's easy to lose your way. It's easy to lose who you are. It's easy for things to go really well and you lose who you are. It's easy for things to go really bad and to lose who you are. So what keeps me up at night is losing who we are as a church and who God has called us to be. So I've been trying my best to figure out how do we not do that? And I don't think there's a perfect answer, but I think there is one step in that direction to do everything we can to not lose who we are. So I came up with, we actually did this as a leadership exercise. The question we asked our leadership team is what are the three things that we believe we are called to be who we are called to be, and we never want to lose it. Obviously, all of this is wrapped around Jesus and discipleship and making disciples, so please hear that. These are in addition to that. Out of these, discipleship flows. So I would say the first one I said is local. It's my heart. It's why I think we're here. We are for our local community and our local schools and local families. Like, we, we just, anything that we can do to meet the needs of our community, we want to be about that. So, local. The second one was next gen. Not just our kids and student ministries on site, but kids and students in our community. So that's why we partner with FCA and Young Life and plenty of other organizations that they are about kids and students in our community and are doing a phenomenal job with that and we wanna cheer them on, not try to replace it, we wanna cheer them on and help any way we can. Next gen. The third one, family feel. I didn't know how else to describe it and then everybody started putting words to it. I don't wanna lose that. And that has nothing to do with how big or how small you are as a church. Again, you can be big and have it, you can be big and not have it. You can be small and have it, you can be small and not have it. It's important that we don't, we don't miss that and we don't lose that, so I want us to identify it. So I believe our identity, of course, wrapped up in Jesus, but how we live out our identity is in those three things, local, next gen, and that family feel. A name is part of your identity. It is not all of your identity. When I think of the name of our church, Mountain Lake Church, that identity was originally wrapped up way before I ever got here. Over 20 years ago, Sean Lovejoy founded Mountain Lake Church in, in Forsyth County and named it Mountain Lake for two reasons. One was because of the geographical location of Sawney Mountain and Lake Lanier, those two reasons. He felt God calling him to reach the people between that geographical area. Isn't it neat that that's happened? To see God give a vision to a man over 20 years ago they say that that's happened because we are not between Sawney Mountain and Lake Lanier anymore, and that's expanded. So I see that what God has put, the vision that God had put in one man's heart, in some ways, not perfectly, but in some ways had been accomplished, and now we want to see something bigger than that. What's next? So again, I say not everything is in a name, but there's enough in a name that I think is important in who we are and who we want to be. So 
here's my announcement for you. Some of you are not going to care. You're like, seriously, I came to church for that. At least there was coffee. Some of you might get excited as I do because I see where this will lead, not just this year, but in 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, what this means for our church. We are officially going to rename our church from Mountain Lake Church to Local Church Dawson. And here's why. Here's my heart behind that. I don't know of a better way to be held accountable that we will always be a church that takes Jesus and shares people into the world that God has given us than to name ourselves that. <laughs> It'd be kind of strange to say, yeah, we're local church Dawson. What do you do for our community? Nothing. That'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? So it holds us accountable. It keeps it in front of us all the time. Well, what do we care about? Jesus first and foremost. Well, what else do you care about? Well, I care about my local community. I care about our local students and our local kids. I care about our local families. When you walk here, you should feel like this is home, that second family, that this feels local for you. You're not an outsider. Don't miss what Jesus called us to do, to send us into our world, into the local places that he has sent us. So I want our name to not just reflect where we are, but more importantly, who we're called to be. And I believe with all my heart, that's who he's called us to be. To be his ambassadors into our local world, your local world. Now notice this name change isn't just what goes on the side of the building. Like this is what you get to, to carry with you. As a follower of Jesus, you are being sent into your local world, your, your box as well. So that's what I see for our church. Again, it's not a, a major shift. Is everything else the same? Yes. <laughs> yes. We are still part of our local churches. So we are local church Dawson. For our Forsyth church will be, guess what? Local church Forsyth. And check this out. This I am super excited about because we've been working on this for quite a while. Nathan Castleberry, he was here preaching for me a few weeks ago. Uh, he's been having this in the works. We've been praying. We've been looking. We've been working a ton behind the scenes but he is officially going to be launching local church Canton here in the next year. So excited for that one. He had his first launch meeting two weeks ago. I got to be there on a Sunday night getting his team together, and it threw me back to some of our first meetings as our church when we first started. So wherever we go, whether there's mountains there or lakes there or whether there's no mountains and no lakes, we want to continue to take Jesus into our local communities every single time every time. Now keep in mind, the name of our church is not the, the most important thing in the world, is it? It's not the name on the side of the building that matters. The name that matters more than anything or anyone else is, is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus has always been first and foremost, and that, of course, will never change. So Jesus is still leading, the, leading and running the show. We have the privilege of filling out our mission to be sent into our local little worlds and taking him wherever we go. So yes, the name of the church is changing, but who we are is continuing. I think it just gives us a little bit more clarity and this is who we are and what we're about. We're still part of all of our, of our local churches with Forsyth and now Canton and us here in Dawson. None of that changes. Same church, new name. And I hope new excitement on where God is leading you in your local box as well. So to help with that, an online crowd, we're going to put a link uh, in, in the chat in just a moment so you can get one of these mailed to you. On your way out today, I'm going to give you a local shirt so you can start being part of your local community. Now start thinking back to every time I've said local over the last several weeks. Yeah, you'll start counting up. So we've got new church shirts for you and all the Mountain Lake stuff. My goodness, be proud to still wear that if you want to. We're not trying to break away from Mountain Lake. It's an incredible incredible vision that has been lived out over the last 20 years, and we are so thankful for what Mountain Lake Church has been, and I'm excited for where God is leading local church here in the coming years. 
Jesus is still the name that we worship, the name that we praise. He's the king of your heart and mind. He's our Lord and our Savior. But I think to the story of what these disciples had to do in the box and how they had to first give it to Jesus. I want to just tell you a, a quick story, a little background on uh, two friends of mine that have become like family in a lot of ways. The Galpins are, are part of our church. And I say our church, not just here at Dawson, but at many of our locations, Jim and Sharon Galpin. They actually were in the living room with Pastor Sean Lovejoy when he first planted Mountain Lake Church over 20 years ago. And then when they moved into their building in Forsyth, they were still part of that. They were with us at Dawson celebrating us when we launched our location almost six years ago, about a little over six years ago. And this picture, I saw them at the Canton launch team meeting. I thought it was incredible. Nathan Castleberry, and that's his wife, Erica. And then you see Jim and Sharon Galpin on the launch team for local church Canton. Here's what I, I, I can say about Jim uh, and, and Sharon. I can say that they are like that boy that had five loaves of bread and two fish. They would have been fine just hanging on to it. Notice that boy would have been fed if he didn't share. He did not have a problem, did he? No problem. He was like, man, the rest of you guys weren't very smart. I brought my lunch. Sorry about the rest of you. So he would have been fine. Jim and Sharon would have been fine continuing to do church the way that they always did church in the place that they always had church in the seat that they always sat in, the small group that they always went to. But like the boy, the boy said, man, I wonder what would happen if I put this in Jesus' hands. So Jim and Sharon, over the last 20 years, have done that. Every time Jesus said, I'm sending you, every time, Jim and Sharon said, let's go. Where? I'm in. Just like that boy that gave his five loaves and his two fish. Whatever, whenever, wherever. So as you think of your little box, I want you to think more specifically about what needs to go in Jesus' hands. Just like Jesus looked at the disciples and says, no, 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 don't you dare send them away. You take care of it. What's Jesus calling you to take care of in your box? How are you going to be local? How are you going to take Jesus into your world? I'd ask you to do something for me at home and right here. If you'll just hold out your hands for me like this, and we're going to close our eyes. This posture represents giving something to Jesus. So whatever you need to let go of and give to him, oh, just wait and see what he will do with it. Jesus, we come before you and we are thankful that you have sent us into our little box, a box with joys and a box with heartaches, problems and issues, people and places and things. But God, I would pray like you prayed, Jesus, that you would not take us out of our world, that you would send us in. And even though we don't feel equipped, even though we don't feel ready, even if we don't feel like we have enough and we can't do anything about it, may we remember that we matter and we can make a difference if we would only put it in your hands first. So Jesus, that's our prayer. Whatever needs to go into your hands, I pray it would go into your hands right here, right now. Jesus, I give you our church. Oh, what you could do with our church if we put put every single one of us into your hands. May we put our hearts into your hands, our thoughts into your hands, our resources into your hands, our hopes and our dreams into your hands and watch what you'll do with us as you use us to the places that you've sent us. In Jesus' name, amen.